Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can come together today around your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for being a great and loving God who cares for us, who meets us where we are. And Lord, as we join together today around your word, may your presence be with us. May the Spirit speak to us. May your word challenge us, Father God, and may we learn of you. Uh, Lord, just uh, give us uh, understanding today as we study your word. Give me clarity of thought and uh, enable me, Father, to clearly um, proclaim your word today that you might receive the glory. Bless our time in your word, we pray. May the Savior be lifted up and praised. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you all know by now, we've been looking at the seven benefits of justification listed for us in Romans chapter 5 and verses um, 1 through 11. And we've seen so far that we have peace with God, we have access to the presence of God, we have hope, we have glory and tribulation, and we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And now today we come to the sixth benefit of justification, the sixth of the seven, benefit of justification, where we're told in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, that we're saved from wrath. We're saved from wrath. At the end of verse 9 there it says, we shall... Be saved from wrath through him. And uh, twice the apostle uses in these two verses, verses 9 and 10, he uses the phrase, much more then. And these two statements form the basis of the sixth benefit of justification. And so I want you to note with me this morning, firstly, much more then we shall be saved from wrath in verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. As we start verse 9 here, it seems like the Apostle Paul is asking a question or imagining somebody is asking him a question about what he's been saying, what he's been presenting in Romans chapter 5. And the question goes something like this, you've been telling us about the love of God to us and you've told us that the love of God is so great that Christ has died for us and that our sins are forgiven, but how can we be sure, even now, that we are not going to be lost finally and eventually. In other words, the question is, do I have eternal security? Now remember, the whole passage of Romans 5 is about this matter of eternal security. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to assure us that you and I are eternally saved. So the question comes here in verse 9 that Paul seems to preempt is this question of uh, eternal security. And that is a crucial question. And therefore, we must be quite clear about the answer. For the truth is that we must still go on living in this world. We must still uh, live amongst people. We're still weak and feeble as believers. Many things can happen to us between the moment we get saved and the moment we get to glory. In fact, you and I are still sinners. And you and I sin regularly. We may even sin daily. And the question is, is it possible then for me to get saved and lose my salvation? Isn't there, is there a time whereby it will come that I will not well, be lost finally and eternally? Can I lose my salvation? The question is, how can I be sure that I'm not finally going to be condemned and lost? 
How can I be sure that I will not lose my salvation sometime between now and the day of judgment? Now, once again, remember the context of Romans chapter 5 is assurance of salvation. He's not actually teaching us about the method of salvation. He's teaching us about the assurance of salvation. These are the benefits that are ours because we are saved. Because we are justified. In order, therefore, to ensure ours of eternal security, Paul argues now from the lesser to the greater. In Romans 5.9, he says, much more than. He connects this now to what he's just said, particularly in verses uh, uh, 6, 7, and 8. What he's saying is, since it pleased God to give us such a display of love as recorded in verses 6, 7, and 8, we can guarantee that we are saved eternally. Look what he says in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the fact. Christ died for us. You and I have been justified by his grace. You and I have been saved from sin. You and I have been declared righteous, even though we were ungodly. And since it pleased God, to give such a display of love to you and I, as recorded in these verses, we can confidently conclude that much more than being now justified by his blood, we'll be saved from wrath. The point is, what the apostle is saying here in clear terms is, if God saved us when we were enemies, if God saved us when we were ungodly, surely he will keep on saving us now that we are his children. If God showed you and I such dramatic love as to send his son to die upon the cross of Calvary when we were enemies, think of the blessing we enjoy now that we're reconciled to God and we are his children. If God does all that he does for his enemies, verses 1 through 8, if God does all this for his enemies... How much more will he do for his friends? That's the apostle's point here. I mean, it's unreasonable to think that if God does all this for his enemies, that somehow he's going to let you and I as his children to perish eternally. If this is God's effort for the saved, to get us saved, why would he let us down now that we are saved? Now it is true that there is a wrath to come, verse Seven, uh, verse 9 makes that clear, much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There is a wrath to come. There is a day of judgment coming. And there is eternal punishment awaiting those who are without Christ. Hell is real. The lake of fire is real. There is eternal punishment awaiting some. Although today, uh, that, is not, that truth is often overlooked and not often mentioned in pulpits around the world, it is a truth of God's word. In fact, in days gone by, hell was an awful reality, much more than it is today. You know, when the famous preacher Jonathan Edwards went into his pulpit and preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, men stood where they were and they called out to God for mercy for fear that they were about to slip into hell. 
Now we don't hear stories like that today happening around the world today or happening around our country today. And that may be because the preaching on hell is uh, not as prominent as it ought to be. In fact, you know, it's true we can overdo the preaching on hell and in some places they do. And that's why people come complacent towards the doctrine. There's a danger today, however, in the other direction that we say too little about it. There is a wrath to come. And the Apostle Paul wants you and I to understand that wrath to come is a reality. That it will come. It is coming for some. And so he mentions here in verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There is a wrath to come, and we can't overlook that. But the good news that Paul wants to get out, the good news the Lord wants you and I to understand, is that no true believer will experience that wrath to come. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonians 1 verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. God's delivered us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been delivered from wrath to come. We've not been pointed under tribulation. You and I have, as believers, if you know Jesus Christ is saved today, the wonderful promise of God's word, and here in Romans chapter 5 verse 9, is that the wrath to come is not for you and I. And the reason why we will not experience the wrath to come is because we've been justified. Verse 9, much more then, being now justified, we shall be saved from wrath. We've been justified. As it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're justified, then we will be delivered from the wrath to come. So the question is, God has saved me. That's true. He saved me by his grace. I was, Christ died for me while I was ungodly, while I was an enemy of God. Can I lose my salvation ultimately and finally? No, because he's delivered me from the wrath to come. If we're justified, as verse 9 says, we shall be delivered, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Now remember that to be justified not only means to be forgiven, but justification also means God has declared you and I righteous. It's a legal term. It's something that God does for us. And it's something that God does alone. We cannot justify ourselves. God has justified us. He has declared us Righteous. He has declared that he regards you and I as righteous. And he does that because he's imputed to us the righteousness of Christ. He has put to our account 
the righteousness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so you and I who are justified stand in his presence, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has put his clothes upon us. They rest upon us. So as God looks upon you and I as believers, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see us sinners. He sees you and I as declared righteous. Therefore, because you and I have been justified, because you and I have been declared righteous, we have been saved from wrath through him. So we stand in the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as been seen in Romans 5, 1 and 2, because he says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You and I, because we're justified, have peace with God. Because we're justified, we have access to the great, under, under the throne of God. Because we're justified, we have hope in the glory of God that we will partake in the glory eternally. It's because we have been justified. Now we come to what's probably the most interesting point of part of verse 9. Because it says this, it says, much more than being justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. By his blood. Now this is a new expression that suddenly is added to the narrative of Romans. He's never used this phrase before. He's never said before that we've been justified by his blood. We've already found him saying in Romans 3.10, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In Romans 3.24 he says, being justified freely by his grace. In Romans 3.28 he says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we're saved according, we're justified by his death, we're justified by grace, we're justified by faith. They're the three things that in Romans so far, the apostle has talked about, justified by faith, by grace, by his death. But he's never said before, justified by his blood. What's interesting to note is how he varies his terms in this way. And unless we understand, unless we get a, heads around, we understand why he does this, we may well find ourselves in a state of confusion. <laughs> and uh, as I was studying this, uh, I found myself uh, at times in a state of confusion, trying to get my head around just exactly what he was saying and how he was saying it, and then how to present it. You see, if it is true, if it is true that we are, we're reconciled to God while we're sinners, I'm going to minute. I feel I've got my notes the wrong way around. I have. Okay. It is the grace of God that makes justification possible for all. So you and I are justified because of God's grace. If God didn't have grace, if God did not show grace towards you and I, we would not say, for by grace he is saved. God's unmerited favor. If God gave to you and I what we deserved, and God did not give to you and I what we didn't deserve, we wouldn't be saved. So the grace makes justification possible. It's because God can show grace to you and I that you and I can be saved. Then justification comes to you and I by faith, for by grace you're saved through faith. Having been justified by faith, 
Romans 5.1. So you and I are able to get saved because of God's grace. You and I are justified because of faith. But what is it that really procures that salvation for us? What is it that made it possible for God to act in grace to us? What makes it possible for you and I to be saved by faith? Well, it's his death and it's his shed blood. And so you and I are justified by his death, but the death alone is not sufficient. It's the death and the shed blood that makes the difference. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. <coughs> Excuse me, the grand of our justification is our Lord's righteousness and obedience to God's holy law, including his death and he shed blood on the cross. And because he shed his blood, we'll be saved from wrath. Now this is the key. Jesus paid it all. How do I know that I am delivered from wrath to come? Because Jesus paid it all. That the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient to meet the righteous demands of a holy God. He shed his blood to purchase our salvation. First Peter. First Peter chapter one. I know you know these verses, but they are worth repeating in this context. First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for you. So it says that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb. He saved you and I, from wrath to come. He has saved you and I from future punishment. He has saved you and I from the vengeance of eternal fire by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That was the payment that was made for our salvation. You and I are justified by his blood, not just by his death, not just because of God's grace, not because of just faith. You know, if any one of those things, if, if, we would, if God tried to save us by his grace but there was no blood, then you and I would not be recipients of grace. If you and I believed in God, but there was no sacrificial sacrifice, you and I could not get saved. If Jesus Christ had died but not shed his blood, there would have been no salvation, because it's the shedding of the blood that brings remission. So we go back now to the phrase, much more than, in verse 9. Much more than. If God loved us enough to give his son to die for us when we were guilty sinners, if God loved us enough that Jesus Christ shed his blood upon the cross of Calvary for you and I while we were enemies with God, we can assure ourselves that he will save us from eternal damnation. God is not going to do all that he did at Calvary. Jesus Christ is not going to expend all the energy of dying on the cross for you and I and shedding his precious blood for you and I so that God could eternally let us go. 
What a waste of time. That he got us, we were saved by grace through faith, but you sinned, so you're condemned. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Much more than if God did all of this for us while we were enemies, if Jesus Christ shed his blood for us while you and I were still sinners, much more than we shall be saved from wrath to come. Much more than being now justified by his blood. It's the blood that washed us clean. It's the blood that's made us whole. It's the blood that's made us acceptable to God the Father. Because you and I have our sins forgiven. The blood was shed. The price was paid. And you and I have redemption, justification. We've been declared righteous. And therefore we will be delivered from the wrath to come. If we're justified by the work of Jesus, we can show that we're saved from the wrath through him. Now the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, according to Romans 1.18. And that wrath of God was placed upon the Son of God, that Jesus Christ stood as our substitute upon the cross of Calvary. He stood in the place of you and I as he died there on Calvary, as he shed his blood. He stood in your place and my place upon the cross of Calvary. He hung there for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be declared the righteous of God in him, that we might be declared righteous. He died in our place. And God wants you and I to understand this plain and clear, much more than is the love of God and the goodness of God given to us. Much more then can we have confidence in him. God wants you and I to have such a confidence that we know we're saved and we're saved for eternity. That you and I will never question the durability of our salvation, the durability of our relationship to God. Because if God did this for us as enemies, he will do more for us as his children. We're saved from wrath because his blood was shed and the price was paid. You know, God is forever done with dealing with believers based on wrath. Now, it's true, God chastens us as a father chastens his children. But God does not punish us or, or, or ask of us payment for sin. He doesn't punish us as payment for sin. Chastening is always to provide loving correction and guidance. But what matters here is what we have through Jesus. You know, what we have through our own works doesn't matter. It can't help us and it can't stop us from being eternally saved. It's all through him. Jesus paid the price of our salvation with his blood. And because we are justified, we will be delivered from wrath to come. We will be glorified. It's guaranteed. Isn't that a glorious truth? Much more then. Because we are justified, we will, by his blood, we will be delivered from wrath to come. Through him. Because of him. Because of what Christ at Calvary. Jesus paid it all. Secondly, the second much more then is found in verse 10. Much more 
being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Look in verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, the apostle here argues further that if Christ shed his blood to accomplish so much for us, how much more will he do for us with his life? If the death of Christ purchased our redemption, if the death of Christ purchased our justification, if the death of Christ made it possible for us to be reconciled to God, if the death of Christ, the shed blood of Christ did all of this, then how much more will his life do for us? Verse 10 again. For if, when we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by, uh, we shall be saved by his life. So we're moving now from the death and sacrifice of Christ on Calvary to the life of Christ, what Christ is doing right now. And right now, he is seated in the heavenlies on the right hand of the majesty on high, and he intercedes for you and I. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He stands and pleads our case before the throne of grace. Look in Romans 8, please. Romans 8 and verse 34. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. He rose again, and he makes intercession for us. Then he goes on and says, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, because Christ ever liveth and intercedeth for us in heaven. Now look again in Romans 5.10. He starts out with, for if. For if. In other words, if it's true that we were reconciled to God while we were sinners, then it is also true that what's about to be said is equally true, rather. If it's true that we were reconciled to God while we were sinners, and it is true, then what is about to be said is equally true. If God has already done the greater thing, that he cannot fail to do the lesser thing. It's unthinkable. It's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. If God has saved you and I while we were enemies through his death, then much more is it true that he will save us by his life. If the first part of the verse is true, and it is. Then the second part of the verse is equally true. And to think otherwise is to think, is unthinkable. In fact, it's a ridiculous suggestion. Now notice what God has already done in verse 10. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. What God did for us in the death of his son is he reconciled us. Our state and condition, our position before God, 
and our relationship to God was that of enemies. That's what he says in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, that's the state, the condition we're in before we got saved. Before you and I were justified, we were enemies of God. There existed between you and I, between God and I, and between God and you, a state of war. We were God's enemies. The great news is that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. To reconcile is to render you and I savable. To make it possible for you and I to be saved. The death of Jesus Christ paved the way for us to be brought back to God. See, there was a great obstacle between us and God. There's a great chasm fixed between us and God. And that chasm is sin. You and I were enemies of God. We were at war with God. The state of war existed between us and God. and There was no means of peace. There was nothing you and I could do to bring about that peace. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. You and I were, uh, were hopeless sinners. There was none of us righteous. No, not one. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. And there was a gulf fixed between us. In order for you and I to get saved, God had to make the first move. And what God did was he sent his son to die upon the cross of Calvary so that he took away every obstacle to you and I getting saved. He rendered you and I savable. He made everybody in the world savable. He didn't save them, but he made it possible for everybody to be saved. God's son paved the way for you and I to be brought back to God. His death removed every obstacle to getting saved. Look in Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Verse 20 says, He has reconciled all things to himself. God did everything possible to get you and I saved. There's nothing stopping anybody being saved. Because Christ died for all. And he did it while we were sinners. He paid the debt for our sin while we were enemies of God. And God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to clear the road. I'm going to remove every obstacle there is to salvation. And there is nothing preventing anybody from getting saved. The only thing that stops you getting saved is unbelief. There is nothing preventing anyone getting saved. The only thing that stops salvation is people not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no obstacle in the road. As far as God's concerned, God said, I will save everybody. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God has cleared the obstacles, he's cleared the road, he's made, the, the road is clear to the Calvary. There is no obstacle, there is nothing that you and I have to climb over, there's nothing you and I have to climb through, there's nothing you and I have to go around. He's removed every obstacle, every barrier, every valley, every rock in the road is all taken away. It is clear and plain to the cross. There is nothing stopping you and I from coming to Calvary but unbelief. 
he reconciled you and I while we were enemies. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The death of the son made reconciliation possible. Now he is ready and able to save all who call upon him. Romans 10, 13. Whoso shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No one can say, God can't save me. No one can say, God won't save me. No one can say, there's nothing God could do to save me because God's done everything possible to save you. God has made sure that there is no obstacle to salvation. And this is a glorious truth. This is, this is one of the most glorious truths of the, of the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of reconciliation. It's, it's one of those doctrines that gets me excited. It's one of those doctrines that gets me really thrilled because this knocks so many false doctrines on their head. This one doctrine deals with Calvinism in one foul swoop. Jesus Christ died for all and he made it possible for all to be saved. There is nobody who is living today or has lived or will live that God will not save. He will save anybody who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith. Faith is the means of salvation. Because grace was offered to you and I. Because of Calvary. Because Jesus Christ died and shed his blood while we were enemies. And now we can be saved. All anyone has to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This is the greater thing. This is the difficult thing that God did. He sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary so that he might make it possible for all sinners to be saved. So now let's consider the other part of this verse. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Here's the much more. Here is the other thing that is also true, equally true. And to suggest otherwise is ridiculous. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If God accomplished the greater task of rendering all men savable, then because we are reconciled, we can be sure that we were saved by his life. God no longer looks upon you and I as an enemy, but as a friend. God looks upon you and I no longer at war with him, but as his children. And so because we have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, saved by his life refers to Romans 4.25, raised again for or on account of our justification. Because he lives, we are eternally saved. Go with me to Hebrews, please. Hebrews 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And verse 23. Hebrews seven twenty-three, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continued ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth and maketh intercession for them. 
You and I have been saved to the uttermost. Why? Because he ever liveth and maketh intercession for us. That's what he's talking about here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now the best way to illustrate this is by uh, the use of a will. You know, when someone dies, uh, before they die, they make a will. The last will and testament of so-and-so. And that last will and testament is of no effect until the death of the testator, okay? Until the death of the person who made the will. Once the person who makes the will dies, then the executor of the will takes over and sees to it that the will is obeyed. Sees to it that the inheritance that is linked with that will is distributed. But suppose the executor is unscrupulous and wants to get the inheritance from himself. Maybe he's a brilliant lawyer and he figures out ways to circumvent the law to steal the inheritance, then the person would not receive what was in the will. That's the imagery here. But to ensure that did not happen with his will, Jesus Christ wrote us into that will. Okay, You and I are joint heirs with Christ. You and I are on the will. The last will and testament of Jesus Christ contains the fact that all those who by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all those who have been reconciled by his death while they were enemies, are now partakers of the will. We're written into the will, and Jesus wrote his will for you and I in his own blood. Isn't that what it says in Luke twenty-two twenty? This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. This is the will, this is the new covenant. That's what testament means. This is the new covenant, the new will, the new contract in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus Christ wrote his will, which includes all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who are justified by faith, all those who are justified by grace through faith in his finished work upon the cross of Calvary are included in the will. We're joint heirs with Christ. And he sealed that will with his blood. And he died so that the will would be enforced because until the death of the testator, the will cannot be enacted. So he died to ensure that his will would be enacted. But it didn't end there. See, he rose again from the dead and returned to heaven that he might enforce his will himself and distribute his inheritance. Thus we're saved by his life. He made the will. He died to enact the will. And he rose again to be the executor of his own will. (laughs) That's exciting. That's verse 10. For if we were enemies who were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life because we've been reconciled. Because you and I have been born again. Because you and I have been delivered from wrath to come. Because you and I are joint heirs with Christ. 
we will be saved by his life. He's seated on the right hand of the majesty and I, interceding for you and I, ensuring that those things which were contained in his will will indeed come to pass. He died so that you and I might be saved eternally. God did the hard thing, sacrificing his son to reconcile his enemies. And now, to guarantee eternal salvation, to guarantee that you and I will have glorification, he intercedes for us, so now we are saved by his life. Romans 8.30, please. Romans 8.30. Notice what it says here. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them also, he also glorified. If you're justified, you're guaranteed to be glorified. How do I know? Because Christ is seated in the heavenlies, interceding for us. And by his life, I have eternal life. He is making sure that what he died for comes to pass. We're joined heirs with Christ, and he now lives in heaven, ensuring that we will get there safely. Now, that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. It is glorious truth. You and I have been justified much more than we're saved by his blood. We'll be saved from wrath to come, eternal salvation. And not only that, but while you and I were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Much more then, because we've been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. Christ is in heaven overseeing his will, making sure that all the justified, redeemed, reconciled recipients of his will will receive what was promised, which is ultimate salvation, which is glorification. Beloved, once saved... Always saved, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. We can't lose our salvation because it's not ours to lose. It's a free gift given to you and I by faith. Eternal salvation is available to all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and it cannot be taken away. And the question of the day is are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ your Savior? Because Jesus Christ has done everything to make it possible for you to be saved. He's removed every obstacle to salvation. He has made it possible. All you have to do is believe. Acknowledge you're a sinner before a holy God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There is nothing more to be done. Jesus did it all. And he did it while we were enemies. So are you saved? And those of us who are saved, we can rest in the knowledge that we're saved eternally. Thank God for the sixth benefit of justification. You know, one of the things I struggled with when I first got saved was my assurance of salvation. And my pastor had to sit me down one day and make it abundantly clear to me that God promised it, therefore stop making God a liar. And that's the way he said it to me. He, said, he took me in a room and he said to me, he said, okay, Nigel, tell me. He said, does God say that he gives to you eternal life? I said, yes. He said, how long is eternal life for us? I said, for eternity. He said, does God say that he's ever going to take that life off you? I said, no, it doesn't. And he quoted a few verses to me. He said, so what's the problem? 
Are you calling God a liar? I said, no. He said, well, stop calling him a liar and just trust him. He said, he saves you eternally. And that's the glorious truth of Romans 5, 9 and 10. Since we've been justified by faith in Christ, we know that we need not fear death. We need not flinch at the thought of our soul going into eternity. We need not fear the great and terrible day of divine wrath. Christ has saved us from wrath to come. He has satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God at Calvary. He has reconciled us to God. And now that we are reconciled, he is even more intent to see the redemption is completed, for he sits in heaven and we're saved by his life. A fellow by the name of Dr. Griffith Thomas put it this way. He said, if God can save his enemies, much more then can he keep his friends. I love that. Let me say it again. If God can save his enemies, much more than he can keep his friends. Praise God, we're saved from wrath. And we're saved by his life. And that by faith, we're saved eternally. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, for Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And what a glorious truths and promise here, Father. We're saved eternally. We're saved by the blood. We're saved by his life. We've been reconciled to the Father. We've been justified. And because we've been justified, we're saved from wrath to come. Because we've been reconciled, we've been saved by his life. Lord, if anybody here today who is listening to this message, who has never trusted you as their Savior, Lord, may they realize that you did it all. Jesus paid it all. There is no obstacle to salvation. There's nothing in the road that stops them from being saved except their unbelief. May they today bend the knee, bend the heart before you, acknowledge themselves as sinners and trust you eternally for their salvation even this day. And for those of us who are saved, may we rest in the knowledge that as we're joined heirs with Christ, that Jesus Christ is seating in the heavenlies, ensuring that his will is enacted according to his divine purpose which was that those who were justified would indeed be glorified. And Father, we thank you for the security of our salvation this day. Bless us, commend your word to us, we pray. Bless now as we dismiss in Jesus' name. Amen.